It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. Hey, Chris. Hey, Andrew. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. It's cooled off a little bit. It's been raining. Yeah. Yeah. Summer's, uh, September's almost here. It's almost here. Yeah. Um, do you have something you're going to send this September? Uh, you know, it always, it always remains to be seen, mm-hmm. but, um, I hope so. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've, I kind of feel like September has become a little bit of a myth because it seems like it's pretty freaking hot still in September. Yeah. These yeah. days. But, uh, but yeah, short, short, longer nights, you know, gets colder temperatures at night anyway and stuff. So looking forward to it. Yeah. So, um, school started this week and so we've got the kids, uh, back in, back in school. And so I've got a couple weeks before September to, to revisit some projects and hopefully while, while the kids are in school, I can go climbing. Do you think that's going to pan out? Yes. You for are? Sure. You're going to make sure it pans yeah. out? Yes. Okay, good. I'm going to take advantage. All right. Committing myself now in front of all of you folks <laughs> uh, to climbing more. And yeah, just making time to to do that, you know, with like freelancing and whatever, having kids. It feels like it's a constant juggle to, you know, make time for yourself and go climbing and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you just have so, so many things going on. Well, anytime I make plans to climb, it's like I'm... I could have been doing so many other things, you know, right. and like, oh, fuck it. I'll just stay home and keep working because there's some light at the, supposedly at the end of the tunnel, but you just got to say fuck it and, and go climbing. Yeah, it does feel like kind of like a guilty pleasure, but um, it's also necessary, I think. For me, it's all self-imposed, too, because Steph usually like it's insistent that I go climbing because mm-hmm. I'm just such a more pleasant person to be around. Right. I've been climbing. She's like, this is for me, not yeah, for you. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, you um you had an interesting post on the gram the other day that it seemed like it got a lot of good feedback just about your son and you know what was the photo it was him in a climbing shoes Yeah, he or- was in his climbing getup his yeah. little harness and his his helmet and his shoes and he had like one foot on the rock and he kind of like likes wearing all the stuff but he doesn't really like climbing. Well, I mean, I had to stop him in that instance because he would have started climbing up the wall. But once I like get the rope on him, he's like not into it. So you haven't taught him the safety check yet. No, and he's <laughs> the partner like, check. Yeah, yeah. So um, it just in and yeah. So the and the post was basically a a little bit about like the mountain town vibe of of like your extreme kids getting kids started early on all this rad stuff and like making sure that they they've got all the rad equipment and they're in the classes and they're mm-hmm. like out killing it on their mountain bikes or their, their ski tours or their whatever it happens to be. Yeah. And, um, and so I think it, you know, the response to it was mostly an agreement that that kind of like permeates these mountain towns, you know, and I've talked to my friends in like Crested Butte, which is, it's got a hyper version of this. Mm-hmm. And just like, if you're a kid either, doesn't respond to it or has issues that are barring him from some of these things. It, it kind of feels a little weird because you know, you're not lining up for ski school or getting up 
you know, sk- getting them in ski school is like getting fish tickets. You know, you right. gotta like literally be on the phone or on the internet at midnight to get the openings and like get your kids in there, or else you're like a shitty parent or right, something right. like that. And so, yeah, I, I just, I guess, I was lamenting our, you know, situation a little bit with with Miles not being interested in that sort of stuff, and um, but also, you know, I think most of us who climb a lot over the years can tell these stories where parents were obviously like pushing their kids or dragging them along and they're like miserable and they're throwing fits and stuff like that. Um, just so the parent can continue their, their interest in their lifestyle. You know, we've all got our stories and some of them are famous, you know, there's famous families in climbing that we don't necessarily mention, but there's certainly, um, Throughout the aughts and stuff, there was definitely families that were known um, to well, sort of you didn't want to climb around them because there were, there was going to be some drama. Yeah, I, I was thinking more you were going to go more in the direction of just like push being overly pushy in in almost an unhealthy way, which is kind of a yeah same story thing. that's been told in, right. in the Don Wall with Tommy and his dad, Tommy Caldwell. Um, you know, kind of. It's like Tommy basically describes his upbringing almost as like borderline child abuse, which, you know, he says flippantly, of course, but, you know, it was like this idea that his dad was just pushing him to be this hardcore dude. And, you know, and obviously it it worked out well in that case for, (laughs) for Tommy, but yeah, I I hear what you're saying or did it. Yeah. I mean, he seems like he's relatively happy and normal, but yeah, I mean, that was a thread in it too. It's just like, how do you find that balance of, Pushing them and forcing them, kind of, so to speak. Yeah, and it's also what you were kind of touching into that I think resonated with a lot of people was just broader ideas and tropes about overachieving kids and having to be good at everything, and you know, having parents who are kind of like push whatever it is, like the violinist to be the most talented prodigy or the. I think that's a big part of our culture. We celebrate those kids who have those skills and have those ambitious parents who who push their kids into those realms. And it kind of leaves people feeling inadequate if their kid isn't, you know, like the best in the world at whatever right. it is that they're doing. And um, yeah, and, and you see a lot of that on social media in like as much smaller, you know, more like kind of pseudo humble type of post but anyway i think that you were you were kind of like getting into some of that stuff with your with your posts where you're just like yeah i don't you know i don't know what miles is going to be when he grows up i don't know what he's going to be interested in he's he could be anything you know but he might be like the best at this or he might not be the best at this but it was just kind of like striking a chord of honesty that was needed um or it felt needed to to just see that yeah, and the response was generally good and in agreement. I mean, there there were folks that, you know, just pushed back in the sense that, well, you know, I don't want to be judged just because I'm out doing rad stuff with my kid. If he, if they want to do it, I'm going to do it. And I think that's fine, too. And it's more like the self-examination of, like, well, what is actually happening here? And, you know, is this, like, my son melting down on the ski slope natural, normal, just a, a blip, or is this something that, I'm pushing them into into not liking, and the the other thing that's that goes with it is I was like Miles. I was not a super athletic kid. I was not 
I was not really competitive. I wasn't that interested. I, you know, I played all the requisite things for a year or two before I was like, well, I'm over this. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's also coming from this personal place of not enjoying that kind of sort of lifestyle where I'm like playing some competitive sport every weekend. I I wasn't into that as a kid either. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so it was partially personal, I would guess, but I brought that to climbing because don't necessarily need miles to be a climber. Mm -hmm. And I kind of enjoy right now the fact that it's a separate thing at the moment. Mm -hmm. And it also came about because so many people asked me that. I mean, being the Norma cast and whatever, like, is he climbing yet? Is he climbing yet? I mean, I get that all the time. Is he climbing yet? And that was that was actually a direct response to like the last time I got asked that. Okay. And I was like, no, he's not like, it's so what it's not going to happen. You right. know what I mean, I mean, I, I think it's a friendly thing to ask, but um, there was a few other things, you know, that had happened in terms of parenting and Carbondale with that kind of stuff too. Yeah. That had been uncomfortable around talking about miles and who he was and what he was doing compared to like some other kids. Right. More, more with skiing, you know, skiing yeah, yeah. is like the currency. Right. <laughs> yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but one thing that I've realized and learned as a parent is that I didn't, I don't think you can learn or like really become aware of until you are a parent is that when you see that family or that parent and that child, like out in you know, on the ski slopes or at the climbing area and they're just having a fucking awful time and like the kids screaming their head off and the parents either forcing them to try to do something that the kid seems like they don't want to do or, you know, they're just arguing about whatever. I, I mean, like I would have been and I have been in the past super judgmental right. of those parents and I've kind of written them off as like these people who are, you know, need their kid to be climbing or skiing well or something. It's like all about them. And this is all wrapped up in their own like ego and their potential vicarious dreams of glory that they're going to, you know, live (laughs) through their, their star child one day. And it could be that, or it could just be that you have those kinds of inner, yeah, Yeah. the kid's hungry. The kid is tired. The kid needs to be pushed to like break through something and the parent knows that and they're being extra harsh that day or in that moment to, to help that kid and give them what they need. And so I get all of that now. It's very, that's a very relevant thing, but it doesn't make just that awareness doesn't mean that I understand when the right decision is moment to moment. Mm -hmm. I still don't know what is right. And like every parent, I figure that out moment by moment and, you know, make bad decisions some days and good decisions other days. But Anyway, yeah, that's just kind of my my observation on on some of this. It's an interesting like before and after picture of of parenting that you you get get an insight into, man, I you know, I just won't judge right that family that's in that moment and I happen to see it and I'm like, ooh, you know, I I, I you obviously you can't do that because you just know as a parent that it could be anything. Right. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. And I I guess that came up with other people's comments on the post and, you know, this idea that, yeah, having watching these people like interact at the crag or whatever is is always a nightmare. But, you know, I also have this thing too, because being, you know, someone in the climbing media, you hear stories or people send you these stories or these notes or stuff about these kids that are like doing these rad climbs at a really young age. Mm -hmm. And you know, I find that 
mildly interesting, but I don't really give a shit. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's just because in 30 years of climbing, for every like one kid that started early and, and was a Tommy Caldwell or a Chris Sharma or whatever, there's 20 that you never heard of again because they burned out or they stopped climbing because no one was making them climb anymore. It wasn't intrinsic. It was, it was ex- extrinsic. And so when that support system went away or they just changed their minds, I mean, they went to college and they found something else to do that they thought was more interesting. And so it's like, it's amusing and cool. Like, okay, so this 12 year old led a crack in Indian Creek. I'm like, okay, great. It's cool. You know, are you going to be at it when you're 30? Are you going to, you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I, that, that kind of thing is just not that interesting to me. And so well, there's got- this, this, there's this constant, like, there's this constant thing that the earlier you start, the better. Right. And I just absolutely disagree with that. And, and a lot of educators disagree with it as, as well, actually. Yeah. Um, that just automatically, because you were three when you fucking stood up on skis, you're going to be this amazing skier for the rest right. of your life. Right. Like, there's no evidence of that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> there's anecdotal evidence because we can point to a few people that did it. But, you know, even, even HK, our, our close friend, like, a lot of years of his youth hating climbing and being away from He didn't from really it. climb till he was like 12 or 13 or something. Yeah, well, then in high school, like, he had a phase two where he just stopped right. because it was his dad's thing and he was over it and he wanted to pave his own way. Yeah. You know, he came back to it, but he yeah. could have easily not, you know. Right, right. So it's just not automatic. And so it's like, that's the part where I'm like, it has to be presented to them, but then found for themselves it's kind of my thing i guess yeah there's also this other element which you kind of just alluded to about the you know kind of spraying on your kid's behalf and you know social media has made self self spray just so much more you know uh tangible and mm-hmm. and to every single person who has a phone and those same instincts about kind of you know tooting your own horn are even worse on some level or you know, for parents who want to toot their kids horn who are doing great things. And there are like accounts for kids in their teenage years or even younger. And they're obviously written by their parents and they're talking about like the routes that they've done that weekend or the climbs that they've sent. And there's something about that that I find grotesque because it's like both teaching the wrong lesson to the kid about where, you know, feelings of self-worth come from. It's validated by people on social media. Is that really the lesson that you want to be, you know, giving your child? But it's also just, I don't know, it's just like the the kind of, it's a genuine feeling for the parent to want to, you know, boast about their kid. They're proud, I get that. But if it's all, it just becomes more about them at some point than the, the child, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So... That's been um, something I've been kind of irked by, and I thought your post was a nice kind of rejoinder to to that attitude. Right. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's just like my path. It's like what we're dealing with, and, and there's some barriers that Miles has to some of these, to engaging with some of this stuff, and so they're, you know, the truth be told is, you know, it was part of me maybe fed up a little bit about that too. Right. Um, because certainly if your kid you know, takes to something and you want to give them the opportunities to, to be great at it, then, then go for it. And obviously kids can't find 
activities like climbing on their own. So they have to be introduced to it and you have to feel it out and see what they want to do. Yeah, it just, yeah, it's just kind of like everything else. There, there has to be some sort of balance. And, you know, I was a really rebellious kid, you know, and again, thinking about sort of Hayden's rebellious years, it was pure rebellion. It was purely him saying, I'm, this is my dad's thing and I'm not doing it anymore and I'm not interested and it's stupid and I want to skate or I want to ride, you know, telly ski. Yeah. I want to do something else. And I mean, he was a rad skier and, and certainly Michael Kennedy has counseled me about that, even about, you know, what they tried to do with Hayden and whether it worked or whether it didn't Mm -hmm. in terms of, of guiding him towards like the outdoors that obviously worked, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess, that's just the thing is it, it just works differently for everybody. Right. Um, but I was irked and I continue to be irked about by occasional conversations I have with parents uh, around those things. Mm-hmm. Because the other thing about what you said about um, the, the person, uh, you know, where you, you don't know what the situation is when they're having some sort of blow up. And, and that's kind of the thing with, with me and with Miles having a few spe- special needs is that, people enter this into these conversations, not knowing that mm-hmm. and giving me all sorts of advice or like about how, you know, Oh, well, this is what you should do right. to get your kid into skiing. And this is what we did. And when I was a kid, this is what happened to me and not knowing my situation, it kind of gets on my nerves. And, right. and it reminds me too, that other people's situations are different and you don't really know exactly what they're dealing with. Yeah. So, um, and that's when I, in my mind, I came up with that phrase, the rad race, yeah. um, which people really responded to. Actually, I should have trademarked it. Um, but yeah, it felt it, it feels like that. Like, how rad is your kid? Right. This is how rad my kid is. Right. And like, blah, blah, blah. Like, there, there's definitely a lot of that. Yeah. And it, and, it, and it comes across very casually. Like, they ask you, it's like a typical adult thing, actually. They ask you about your kid so they can you know, obviously tell you about their kid, mm-hmm. you know, get the preliminaries out of the way so they can tell you how rad their kid is. So, yeah. They're just waiting for the moment that right. they can say that Johnny won the, <laughs> the ski know, race this weekend. climbed 512, yeah. whatever, you know, intense sleep. Um, so. <laughs> so at least a 512 intense sleep, <laughs> it's isn't it? A, the first one. Um <laughs> Jonathan Segrist is a professional climber living in Las Vegas. He recently got the second ascent of Rifle's first 515, Kinder Cakes. Actually, we started talking about Mark Sinat's polar expedition, which um, the reason I thought of it is because we were talking about getting scurvy, <laughs> apropos of nothing, and he's actually trying to follow the the footsteps of this mysterious Franklin expedition that during the age of polar expeditions disappeared into the uh into the arctic and their boats sank and they kind of all disappeared and there's been there's some archaeological evidence you know their existence but no one really knows what happened to them other Mm -hmm. than they got locked in the sea ice and their ships sank whoa but one theory is that they all went insane because and this is the scurvy thing is that the British Navy had just invented canning 
right? And one of the problems with scurvy is that you, you know, you would you couldn't have like stored food other than hardtack, and hardtack has no nutrients, including vitamin C. But it's more than vitamin C that prevents scurvy. But and so this was like one of the first expeditions where they had canned food, but they were they were sealing the cans with lead. Oh. So there's a theory that's that they all just got went, lead poisoning. Got lead poisoning and went nuts. Oh wow! And I found like some group, maybe some evidence that a group of of them just struck out through Canada with boats on their backs and stuff like that. But anyway, I don't know how deep they're getting into that with this expedition. But I just it's just been interesting. That's interesting. I, I feel like basically our parents and older all had lead poisoning and we're like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it's only recently that humans have like avoided. <laughs> so, seriously, yeah. Because I mean, we still, I still hit a house where you have to do lead poisoning for the paint because it was painted like, you, you know, in the '60s and early '70s. How do you mitigate that? Can you just paint over it, or do you have to? Yeah, you can it? actually in some cases, but a lot of times you have to basically get rid of it, oh, take wow. the walls out and stuff. Exterior, it's not such a big deal, but interior, it's got to go. Yeah. So, Jeez. yeah, but the lead was so in just so the much fumes shit. of the paint, or it's like, well, you eat no, no, the no, paint chips. it's more of the paint chips. So, if you have kids and stuff, yeah, but do kids really eat paint chips? You know, it's just in the some scene. do, yeah, you, you can tell. <laughs> well, <laughs> the other thing is, Jonathan, you don't have kids, so <laughs> you, you get freaked out about like anything like that because, like, yeah, asbestos is not generally as bad as it's made out to be either, it's usually right fairly inert. But, you know, if someone's like, yeah, you've got asbestos in your house. If you're a parent and you've got little kids, you're going to, like, freak out. Yeah. And if you're a dirtbag climber, you're like, eh, whatever. Can you yeah, you're it? like, can you take five yeah, grand off? Exactly. <laughs> or knock a hundred bucks off the rent yeah. or whatever. It's fine. <laughs> have you guys seen, here anyway. Have you guys seen those? Um, there's, like, a report. This is a really depressing turn of this conversation already. But <laughs> there is a report that basically all rain is, like, now. Acid. It's, it's not acid, but it's contaminated with these uh, forever chemicals, the, these PFOS. I don't know how you pronounce that acronym, but and this is these are these chemicals come from uh, like nonstick pans, but also like Gore-Tex jackets and like any kind of like rainproof. So that's the climbing connection. Yeah, and they, well, they found like super high levels of these chemicals in in um, glaciers in Mount Everest, or like concentrated around where camps are. And basically, it's like in all the water now, all these like forever chemicals. And so that's like the new thing is like mitigating, you know, I'm sure Gore-Tex, I'm sure all the companies have already like figured out ways to like not put them in their jackets and stuff, but just or like put them in their crazy. jackets without anyone knowing. It's just like, I don't know. I mean, like we're talking about lead paint and laughing about people in the 60s because <laughs> they didn't know any better. But yeah, it's like all the shit we're doing. There's like there's going to be all these unintended consequences yeah. like. You know, it's 20 years from now, we might be like, damn, dude, can you remember like using chalk? Like that. Can, I know. Yeah. You, know, totally. like, you used to put it in your mouth, like with the rope and stuff. Can you fucking believe people used to do that? Now they're all crazy like Jim Bridwell. <laughs> well, okay. So, you know. <laughs> remember Jonathan Seegers is like, he's like this total conspiracy theorist weirdo now. Like, I don't know what happened to the guy. I think he ate too much chalk. <laughs> too much chalk, dude. No, it's the aluminum. Right. The aluminum. That's yeah. actually, yeah. 
That's true. Eating aluminum and what's teeth. aluminum in? Uh, carabiners. Oh, carabiners. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like you know, I went to the, a super hippie school in Europa University in Boulder, and a lot of people there weren't using um, deodorant because it has mm-hmm. aluminum in it, mm-hmm. or that's like one of the reasons. Or they, you know, were using some other form of odor protection, but not like deodorant. Sap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, bar- uh, like bark, right, and uh, mulch, but. It does make me wonder, like, there is a lot of aluminum on ropes. And, you know, when you, like, use somebody's old rope and your hands are all gray and black? Yeah, that's, that's mostly aluminum. aluminum. Yeah, yeah, for sure. O- aluminum oxide, anyway. I'm not, like, a, you know, biochemist. Well, but... I, I remember that, I don't know if this is still the case or if the, the aluminum industry crushed this information. Um, but I thought it was connected maybe to um, to Alzheimer's. Mm. Oh, yeah, I heard that. That sounds like something that I heard once. Yeah. Exactly. Let's, we that, could we could remember we if we didn't have yeah. Alzheimer's. Exactly. Isn't it, that's the aluminum <laughs> carabiners. That's their whole plan. Oh God, it's just perfect. Like they won't even remember. forget about those forever chemicals. <laughs> Nothing is forever with aluminum. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually one, one of your new sponsors, isn't it? It's like Alco or whatever. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I dropped Arcteryx. I'm. A, I'm a, <laughs> I'm sponsored by this aluminum conglomerate out of Chile. Um, I'm thinking about signing with this rare earth metals group, actually. <laughs> Monsanto couldn't bring enough money to the table, so I was like, I need somebody bigger. Anyway. <laughs> so, dude, what have you been up to? You've been crushing in rifle? That's why you're here. I, I am. I'm in here with you guys in Newcastle. I've been in rifle for two weeks. I actually came for a couple of days before that as well. I've had a bit of a wild like three or four week period. Basically, I left Las Vegas. I went straight to Durango to meet with uh, Protect Our Winters, which is like a climate advocacy group and a bunch of like athletes and scientists and stuff like that. You guys probably heard of it, pal. Mm-hmm. But they're starting to do summer stuff now as well, like integrate summer athletes. So running athletes and mountain biking and climbing. So we had a summit there, which was amazing. And that was like a three-day thing. And then um, after that, I came to Rifle just for a couple of days. I wanted to check out this root Kinder Cakes from Joe. I think he did it last year. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's right. I think it's right. Yeah. yeah. So it's relatively new. It's in the Skull Cave. It's a root that is, this is probably oversimplifying it, but it's a direct start to a root that he did maybe four years ago called Diarrhea Mouth. Yeah. That I also did in 2020. So Pretty I, independent, though, like doesn't share too much. Exactly, time. and that's why I say that it, it's oversimplified to say yeah. that it's a direct start. It shares a crux, but actually, it finishes different and it starts different. So it's a lot of new climbing. It's like a new route, basically. Uh, so I checked it out, and I just wanted to see what it was all about. And then I like totally was psyched on it. Then I actually did a week catching up with high school friends, and we rode mountain bikes for a week and hung out in Winter Park, and it was amazing. And came back to the canyon after that. And now I've been here for, yeah, just about a little over two weeks, actually, just now. Cool. Yeah. You sent. I did. Yeah, I sent a few couple days ago. Nice. Yeah. So what's um, what's the deal with that? How, how, how many tries did it take you? And how hard do you think it is? I don't know. I don't really keep track of tries much at all anymore. I sometimes loosely keep track of, like, number of days, just, like, for my own purposes. Mostly so that I can... <laughs> dispel the doubt the future doubt that i'm gonna have on whatever next project i have but i don't know the number of days exactly but i would say like 10 ish 10 or 11 probably and it's a really cool route and like like i already mentioned it 
finishes on the same red point crux as diarrhea mouth, which is the hardest part of diarrhea mouth, except instead of climbing on cracked open sky, which is a 13 plus, you do this uh, really hard 14 B that Joe put up called cupcake that goes into kinder cakes. And then there's some new climbing in between those two things as well. So I think the, the way that I was thinking about it was that it was probably like 14 B or maybe easy 14 C to like a good rest, but you're in the, in a roof. So your head's like lower than your feet, which is a bummer in the summer because you just get like hot, like your head gets hot and your body feels really hot. It's like a knee bar rest or something. It's a knee bar rest. Yeah. yeah. Like in a roof. Mm-hmm. And then from there to the top is probably roughly the same grade, maybe something like a little easier, but about the same, like 14, mid 514. But it's really cool and very demanding and uh, for sure the hardest root and rifle, I would say. Nice. Yeah, as of now. Yeah. Is that the um, second ascent? It is, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Nice. Did you tell Joe? I did, yeah. Yeah, I told him. I was actually writing him a text today because today is the first rest day I've had since I sent. And he wrote me, like, as I was grafting a text to him, he, like, oh, wrote nice. and was like, dude, fuck yeah, like, all caps. <laughs> Typical Joe text. <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm really psyched. It was really fun. I, I I leave in a couple, like, probably five days, so I was starting to feel the stress. And, and yeah, it was kind of my main, like, summer goal. So I'm happy to be have done it, definitely. You... um. I mean, we talked to, to you last year. We got a lot of good feedback from that episode, by the way. I don't know if was it just that. last year. It feels like it was longer. Was it ago. I think it was ago? two years ago. Yeah, okay, I think it was two years it was, ago. Honestly, I bet it was here when I did D-Mouth, okay. which would, would have been COVID year 2020 in like roughly the same time, okay. like July, August. That's why I can't remember it that well, because it was longer than a year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. It was more than last year. For yeah. Sure. yeah. But anyway, people really liked that episode. We talked about a lot of different stuff, but cool we talked about just like you know your your just kind of legacy is like this kind of unsung you know crusher in american climbing but i think a lot of people would be like interested to know just like some of the mental you know things that you go through because it seems like you often just kind of do roots relatively <laughs> quickly like 10 days isn't a lot for me on a project but right um so yeah so do you feel like you're like mentally a, a, a strong red point climber? And what, if so, like what goes into that? I like that question a lot, actually, because I do think that maybe, okay, so I'm, I'm actually much weaker, like on paper and like at, on a board session or a hangboard session or stupid human tricks or whatever than almost all of my peers. But I think that something that I've been pretty good at is, is managing like red point anxiety and stress. And I work really hard at that as well. And then on top of that, I think in, in first and foremost is that my passion is really traveling and climbing and I travel and climb constantly. And I, I always have three or four things on the horizon and um, I love to be at the crag and I love the process of trying hard and like being there. So it's not inconvenient for me to not be in the gym or not be at home in the comfy place or whatever. Like I do miss those things sometimes, but like what I really love is being here in rifle and like living in the dirt and doing all of my tasks on a rest day and otherwise just like cragging. Right. But as far as the mental aspect goes, it's something that I've actually been thinking about a lot more. And I just had a conversation with my friend drew Mac about this the other day in the crag at the crag rather. Um, 
And that is that like, I, I think what, what's what one thing that's really difficult and even sometimes difficult for me, I feel like I have a lot of experience with hard roots, but eliminating doubt is so hard. And when I was speaking to him about it, I almost felt to some extent like maybe it fuels me because I always feel like I have doubt. If, if, if I was watching Drew having the same tries that I was having, I would bet like a thousand dollars that he was going to do the route. Cause basically every day I got a little bit higher, a little bit higher. And the day before I sent, I fell on like the very last move. And then the next try I did it. My process isn't always like that, but with some routes it is. And, and I'm just saying like, if I were watching Drew have the same experience, I would bet $10,000 like, Oh dude, you're going to do this in the next three days. You know what I mean? But I can't have that conversation with myself internally, mm. even though logically I know that I'm going to be able to do the route. Basically, I was staring at like six more climbing days before I had to leave. I, I go to Canada next weekend and I was very nervous about not being able to do it. And I wonder if like the doubt is somehow, somehow helpful because I feel like I always live with it. And I always, you know, for better or worse, kind of judge myself on whatever current ambition I have is. It's really hard for me to like rest on laurels or I do have moments where I reflect on the things that I've done and I'm really proud of them. And it, and like, I'm like, yeah, like, cool. I've done rad shit. I'm like, yay, you know, but for the most part, I, I feel this constant sense of having to prove it to myself, not necessarily to anyone else at this point. I think in the beginning, I thought like I really wanted to prove it to my peers and to others in the industry and stuff. Now I know that nobody's listening, so it's just this conversation with me, you know? But yeah, there's something about that. Like, even after doing Kinder Cakes, I went to the project wall and I wanted to do this route, the gayness, which I'd never done. And it's like super Nibari and it's definitely like not my exact cup of tea. And like, it's not like I'm trembling with stress or anything like that. It, that that's a total overstatement. But I I do feel like, you know... I just did this 15A yesterday that I'm really psyched on and it's like important for my whole year and for my psych and everything. And now I'm going to do number like 450, 14A or whatever, but I'm like, fuck, dude, I really want to do this next try. You know, it's like, this is really important to me. And, and it also in my head, I'm like, I have to keep it together because I might fail. There's like this doubt of like, it's so, not like wait, it's given. Me, like, let, I never feel like I'm gonna do... Like, I think, come full circle, I think a lot of my peers, like you said, see my climbing and they say, oh, he's just gonna do that. Or like, oh, yeah, you're trying a 9A or whatever. You're just gonna do it. It's easy for you. And I never live in that experience. My experience hmm. is like, I have to put everything into this. This is really important to me. And if I don't do everything right and focus, I won't do it. That's the way I feel. Let me just try to tease apart two th threads of what you're saying yeah. that I think are interesting to, to dwell on for a second. I mean, you're kind of invoking two things. There's the doubt that you have about whether you can actually do whatever the climb is. But then there, you're kind of also dancing around this idea of anxiety that you have right before climbing the route. Like, is that part of it? Or, or I'm just trying to like understand if those two things are are the same or are they separate? Because to me, a lot of mental struggles that I've experienced with like inhibiting my success on a route come down to anxiety, like right before climbing where you feel stressed and you want to do it and you feel like you should have done it already. Something like that. Mm -hmm. The doubt is like this more 
and that's kind of like this in the moment sensation of like tightness or something, mm. but doubt is more like this lingering thing about confidence and you know, whether you can do something or I, I don't know. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to like yeah. se- separate. So, and, and how, like, how is that relevant to what you're saying? I actually don't often feel that much like palpable anxiety before I'm going to try or certainly not while I'm trying. Like, I think I'm so focused on just movement and breathing and checkpoints and stuff while I'm actually on the route that I very rarely have like stress. I definitely have stress. Like if it's the first time I've ever gotten through a red point and I'm like, feel like that I'm in that like no fall train, like you have to finish this route right now kind of thing, then maybe some stress comes up. But as far as like everyday red point anxiety while climbing, I don't feel that very much if ever. I think the the sensation that I'm describing is more like a sense of like having to stay focused like in my life and stay on task. I guess if I if I let my gaze move too far away from my goals, then I feel like they can slip away from me kind mm-hmm. of thing. That that's the sense of that's the sense to me about like that doubt. And and again, like what I was trying to say before is that I think it's easy from the viewer's perspective or from my friends or from my partners or whatever that like I just do everything and it's like and that's actually not true. There's there's many routes I've made a list on my phone because I wanted to write about this routes that I haven't done, you know, because that's something that doesn't get talked about, but I've gone on trips where, you know, I put a lot of effort into something and left empty-handed and it's still there and I haven't done it, you know? Just like everybody. I think that's that's normal. Mm-hmm. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's not always easy. I do feel like there's an internal battle, even if it may seem easy from the outside. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I, I like hear that and, and you had mentioned earlier on in this when you were talking about the doubt being maybe something that's useful, right? It like keeps right. you on point. It like... You don't get any swagger and like think that you're just going to, you know, put the hammer down. And so it keeps you exactly it keeps you focused. But I mean, you know, looking at your career and stuff and there's like part of me that's like there's a relentlessness to the way you've approached hard climbing, you know, like this suddenly got put up, for example, as like the hardest climbing rifle. So it's like I got to come back to rifle my, mm-hmm. my home crag and do the hardest route. Do you ever like in your in your sort of late night? laying in in the truck darkness be like god is this healthy like in what i doing like <laughs> should, should i let my gaze wander should i like you know do you know what i mean like there's i mean yeah. a lot of these obsession things and this totally is, this is an obsession you know of yours. absolutely it's been for for you know most of your adult life mm-hmm. there's a flip side to it and from the outside looking in you're like man he's so dedicated and then other people that don't know anything about it be like yeah but Shouldn't he like watch a ball game or something, you know? Totally. Well, I do. You know, I, <laughs> I, know, I do. I, know. That's, I guess that's what I'm asking. Like, I, how do you, do you have a, 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 at least a valve that balances some of this? Totally. Yeah. Um, I and play, do you ever, can, are you ever concerned about sort of the relentlessness of it? I, I am totally. And I'm aware of it. And it, like that sense of like it never being enough. But, <laughs> but here's what I, what I take from it though. Climbing has given me almost everything, right? It's giving me my community, my sense of self, now my income, like a vehicle to travel. So there's those rewards. 
And then on top of that, what I often say is, you know, the feeling when you're in sixth grade and it's like, you know, June 10th and it's the last day of school and like the bell rings and you just have that sense of like freedom and you're just like, woo, and you run out of school. Like, it's so hard to have moments like that as an adult. Don't you think? Like, to really feel like relieved in a way where it's like, you feel like you're looking into outer space or something, you know? And it might just be a fraction of that feeling, but all the pent up energy and demand of doing really hard roots. And I think this is true for any human. I think it's anything. It could be a writing project. It could be music. It could be art or school, like, you know, putting out a podcast episode. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Podcast episode number 98 or whatever (laughs) it is. That is totally worth it. And I think sometimes there's a part of me that's like, God, it's going to be great when I'm just, and I've joked with friends, like, I'm just going to do 15B and then I'll be a trad dad. Okay, I'm going to do a couple 15. No, I'm just going to do 15C and then I'm going to be a trad dad. So like somewhere in my mind, there's like a reward of like just climbing for fun and never caring about it. (laughs) But, But when I really think about that, it's like you almost need that stress and that binding somehow to then have those feelings of like, fuck, it was worth it, dude. Yes, like that's the human feeling, right? And I think that, Climbing and life in general is all about finding a way to enjoy the best you can the process of like the difficulties. But the reality is, is that most people with a nine to five in a regular situation who don't necessarily have a passion about something, I don't know how often they have that sensation. And to, to think for me to think about not having that is sad. It's much more sad than it is. To be like, you know, in the truck alone in the rain, like, fuck, I got to climb tomorrow and my skin is weird and my leg kind of hurts from that knee bar and, you know, whatever. And I got to keep my shit together. Like, that's 100% worth it, you know, when I think about it that way. Actually, the other half of the question was the valves. What what else are you into? Especially as a pro climber, you're kind of the quintessential, in my mind, like road dog pro climber. You're still out, like you just said, you like being at the crag. You like banging it out. Yes. You like being in the dirt. More so than a lot of folks that, you know, can kind of, you know, in a, in a way, write your meal ticket. I know, you know, you probably, you know, like aren't living in a mansion or anything else, but mm-hmm. like, you know, you're still doing it. You're still banging it out. So what are your mm-hmm. valves uh, aside from climbing? Like, what are you, what are you into? Well, I, I do really like music mm-hmm. and I try a bit like Dionysus style, you know, two or three times a year to just stay up all night and hear music and go with friends and i like experiences like that that make me like in no way am i thinking about climbing like there's no part of me that's thinking about climbing um and i try and do that like you know once a quarter if you will or whatever like whatever it feels like (laughs) i'm not like i'm not like a i'm not like a business major or anything but that's funny you know four times a year three or four Uh, times a year jonathan i see here on your chart that you've missed your uh quarterly debauchery here so um we're gonna have to double up this month yeah and that's okay doubling up is fine um But that, I I think experiences like that, and also I try and do one or two trips a year that aren't climbing related, where I can completely forget about the ambition to climb or hangboard or train or anything like that. I think mountain biking is a really good 
balance for me. But the problem is, is that it's dangerous. Yeah, you jack yourself up. You actually told a story on the run out <laughs> in one of the final bits of eating it at the at the. Yeah, you um, broke your collarbone or you, something. I broke. I separated my AC joint in front of the. Kids. Oh, that was yeah. me. That was on my scooter, dude. That was on oh, my okay. motor scooter. All oh, right. <laughs> And that was so, I hope that one of those people that was there somehow ended up hearing that because that was really funny. But no, actually a few weeks after I did the last podcast with you guys, knock on wood, um, I did separate my AC joint and I was out for like six weeks. On a bike. Yeah, on a mountain bike. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But, and, and then, you know, I also think that being 36, I turned 37 in two weeks. I have a house now, I have a mortgage and I have a fiance and I have a bunch of friends and two dogs. And I think that being a little bit older, you're required to unplug from the climbing thing more often, you know, which is helpful for me. And I like it. Like, I like doing random house projects. I like spending time with my friends in Vegas. I like, you know, tinkering and doing like random shit. And then obviously spending time with my fiance. But when I was 25, living in the pickup truck, basically with almost no bills, I think that it's easier to just get totally wound up and like not, there's like no escape from climbing. And and for a lot of 25 year olds, that's what they want. But I think that as I've gotten older, it's been like, I've liked those parts of my life more. You know, I've, I've liked the moments where I'm not like at the crag or like on a trip or whatever more. Do you feel like you did your twenties, right? Like if you knowing what you know now, would you talk to yourself differently you know, that 25 year old you, would you give that person advice that would change or you would hope would change the direction or just like maybe just one or two things about how they're approaching climbing? Or do you think, feel like at that time you're just like, you know, fully immersed in it and doing it the right way? Say no. <laughs> uh, I, I honestly think that for the most part, I would be like psyched. I think that a couple of years ago, I would have said, oh, I would have done it totally differently. I would have like, you know, trained more or like, like, look at all these freaks that can do like one arm, one hand, one foot stuff or whatever. And <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> Dude, you're Where's not Instagram. You're clearly not on TikTok. Be? You're clearly not on TikTok. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not on TikTok either. I, I think that there was probably a part of me that would have said something like that. But now... And this has just recently started to happen to me in the last like 18 months, but I was grinding for so long and building this like wealth of experience for so long. And that's still what I'm doing. And I'm still very passionate about that, but I feel like I crested a hill where now like you can bring up almost any climbing area or almost any climber. And I have like a memory of that place or that person and that is so valuable to me. It's, I never thought that I would like that so much. Just, I can sit around a campfire and I can meet somebody from Seattle, Washington and talk about their local crag. Or I can meet somebody from Chattanooga or from New Hampshire or from Southern France or from Spain or from China. And that is like so fucking valuable to me. And I didn't realize that. And I think that because of that, I would look back at my 20s and be like, yes, you did it right. Like you mostly lived in a truck drove around the US climbing as much as you could occasionally did trips if if there was funding for it or whatever and just like like we're on tour if you will you know just like what's this rant? what's Victoria Canyon like oh what's you know this random crag in northern what's Trinity Arets like what's Smith like what's you know some random crag in the east like or whatever and 
now that like it's just enough of an experience it's just it i don't know i I love that i love that element of being able to like refresh from all those things i think yeah i heard i heard a quote on on another podcast i was listening to today that just basically mirrored what you just said but it was about journalism but someone some famous journalist journalist at some point said that best reason to to be a journalist is that you get to see the world on someone else's dime or something like that. Totally. And it's kind of true. And it's like, it's true as a climber, it's true as a climbing journalist, you know, you get to go to cool places and just like hear stories and have a story of your own that you get to tell. And climbing just like takes you just off the beaten path too, that yeah. you wouldn't go and you wouldn't go to these like random towns in the middle oh, of, 100%, you know, yeah. of all these countries for, if not for, the fact that there's amazing rocks there. Totally. And there's characters that you would never run into if you weren't in wherever, you know, yeah. Nephi, Utah or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I, mean, I love that aspect of it. So yeah, I, 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 I'm very pleased and grateful with the way my life went in my twenties. You know, <clears throat> looking at your age and, and your career, because it started really early, you know, you were a young climber, you climbed with your dad and, coming up in Boulder and stuff like that. It's like you've sort of dovetailed with, you know, the, the gym generation in a way you're, you're a little older, but, and then also just the training generation. And so when you were talking about like how you, you want to hang out in Vegas and work on your house and stuff. And there was a time I think when it was more appropriate that the only way you got better at climbing was climbing and being on Mm -hmm. the road Mm -hmm. and banging your head against it. And we've reached this time, I think we're, I don't know if I want to call it science because, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, everybody's got their way of training that is maybe scientific or maybe just works for them. But Mm -hmm. the prevalence of the ability to train and the facilities around a train kind of dovetails with that system of you being able to not just be on the road. Totally. Because in your 20s, you just had to be on the road climbing. Yeah, exactly. You know, and again, like, being in Boulder, it was a very forward part of the gym culture. You know, there were gyms, really good gyms there before mm-hmm. most places in the country. But still, it's like just about anywhere now, you know, and any climber who wants to climb at a certain performance has some tools at their fingertips, whether it's the internet or or getting some training from a coach yeah, to just stay in shape and be improving without just going from climb to climb to crag to crag. So it's it's just interesting how it's like, you're in this position in a place like Vegas with all these people around, you know, who know about these things and you Mm -hmm. can just, you can tinker on your house and still be staying in shape and even getting better as a climber Mm -hmm. uh, versus just having to be on the road the whole time. Personally, I don't necessarily think it's better to just like, you know, train in a gym or whatever, stay in your garage or whatever. I, I mean, I think that that has a lot of value for physical strength, but something that I've been arcing on really hard over the last couple of years is I think that we're too obsessed with training and not enough obsessed with practice. And I see so many overqualified climbers. And what I mean by that is like way stronger than their eight A scorecard would suggest. And I think that that has a lot to do with how it's comfy to go to just go to the gym on like Tuesday and Thursday nights and Saturday mornings or whatever, you know, and it's social and you're with your friends and it's temperature controlled and you don't have to like, 
like find a weird place to park the van and then the cop comes at night and then you're like oh shit but i had a beer and i can't move the van now and then you know and you know what i'm saying like but like the challenge of climbing is really important to me but i think that the way i was introduced to climbing and then the the experience and the wealth of experience that i gained from traveling with climbing to me they're the travel and the climbing are inseparable like those two things I, I don't think I would want to climb anymore if it meant I could only climb in Red Rock or only climb in Vegas or, or rifle or whatever. Like you could choose the best crag in the world and I'd still be like, yeah, I'd do it till everything's done. And then it's like, I or, you know, till I was bored of it. But, you know, a lot of people ask me like, oh, how do you stay so motivated all the time? Like, how do you go from project to project to project to project? And I'm f- super fortunate and grateful I can travel and the amount of like refreshment that you get by changing climate and people and gas station and parking spot, let alone climbing area is huge. Like you can keep going like that for a really long time. If it's just like new spot, new spot, new spot, new spot, you just feel like you get powered up to a hundred every time you roll into like the new zone and there's new people and new psych and yeah. Yeah. And what you just said about how there's so many climbers who are just like so strong, but they're lacking in other areas. I think that brings it back to what we were talking about with like that performance anxiety, that mental aspect that I think you're, I mean, I I understand that you're giving us a different picture, but I think you're quite good at that side of climbing. And I wonder if that's just like, um, born of the amount of outdoor experience that you've had, or, you know, I don't know. I mean, like, why is it that people can do like 500 one arms on the, on a five millimeter edge and then they can't like perform outside? I think that so much of it is just, there's so many variables outside. I mean, there's psych, there's partners, there's weather. The list goes on. I mean, the pull-up bar is always, you know, 70 degrees and light and in, in the back room of the gym or whatever. Right. So it's, that's one aspect. And then I also think that a big aspect of it as well is especially climbing routes. There's just so much to mess up on a route. There's a lot of memory involved. There's a lot of like self uh, dialogue, like conversation. Um, And I also think that it just, it, it it really requires, I mean, to really climb at your limit on a route that's a hundred moves long, mastering a hundred moves is just, it's hard. It's hard to do. And, and yeah, I think that ultimately, in my opinion, it has everything to do with practice. I think that if that person who can do 500 one arms on a whatever practiced being stressed about a red point and looking at weather forecast 10 times and, you know, getting the right amount of sleep and leveling the van, you know, like, I mean, all these things do play a role, right? Mm. But then, I mean, what you're eating, which is hard on the Yeah, road, yeah. What you're you eating and, yeah. and. I think it's all just practice. And I've spent over a decade diligently practicing how to red point. And, and that is now really working in my advantage, you know, because I think that I'm maybe less qualified than you might think for a lot of the things that I'm climbing, you know. Can you give like um, a bullet point list of like your five tips? Like this was like a clickbaity article on some shitty website like evening sends what would be the what would be like the five 
Jonathan Seeker's tips that you've learned over the years that kind of maximize that opportunity to climb well? Um, well, level the van, level the van was number one, right? Leveling the van, dude, you need to be flat to get a good night's sleep. All right. Okay. Come on, dude. <laughs> uh, invest in those little bricks that you've built, those little plastic things. <laughs> the adult Legos. Right. <laughs> yeah, I have a ton of those. I had to re-up actually. I had four of them and I like pulverized them all. They all have like rocks stuck in them and stuff. So I finally got I got a new set. Um okay, so something that I've always that I've said many times in writing before and in and in like pod maybe podcasts, I don't know, maybe not, that I really like is um I like the idea of climbing on different rock types. And I just think that there's such distinct things to learn from granite versus limestone versus basalt versus sandstone, whatever, that I really like the idea of like in, early on, I had a goal of climbing 514 on like five different rock types mm. and a that will force you to go to a new place. Right. So immediately you're going to have to learn like how to climb in a new place and B, I just think that the way that your body and feet and everything move over different rock types is so different. And so you just build like, yeah. And that's just such a transferable goal for any totally. Like, yeah. Five, nine, yeah. Five, 11, five, 12. So I just listened to this. I, I, okay. Another thing I do in my, to blow off steam. <laughs> no, I, I like, uh, I listen to a bunch of like weird physics podcasts and, and, and YouTube and shit like that. But there's one guy that I like, his name is Veritasium or that's the name of his YouTube page. And I just, uh, watched his his YouTube video on experts, and he's mostly talking about experts in like the realms of chess or mathematics or violin or whatever. But it, I think it all applies to anything. And they did this test right where they took a brand new chess player and they randomly assorted the chess pieces on a board in the orientation that they would be in some random game, like twelve, fifteen, twenty moves in or whatever. They took a new chess player. They took a very experienced chess player and they let him like look at the board for a few seconds and then try and recreate the board. The new chess player was like, oh, I don't know, pawn here, whatever. Who cares? I don't know. The experienced chess player could get most of the board done after just staring at it for a couple seconds. But then they gave the same problem to a new chess player and an experienced chess player, but the pieces weren't in the position that they would be ever in a game. They were in positions that the pieces couldn't necessarily be in hmm. during a game and the playing field was level. Hmm. So the experience, at least from a mental perspective, is clearly all about recognizing patterns, right? It's not that the experienced guy has a better memory. It's that, or a girl, whoever has a better memory. It's that they know the pattern of how the game is played, right? right, right. And that struck a huge chord to me because just in the way that I said, like, it'd be great to climb on granite, sandstone, limestone, whatever. As climbers, as we gain experience, and the same with red pointing, right, is like we can recognize these patterns that we've been through before, that we've already seen. So for me, I'm like, okay, how does my body feel? I'm a little bit tired. I, I have a rest day tomorrow. My skin is like this. The conditions are like this. And the route feels like this. And it's like, and my head's like, try again, you know, or my head's like, fuck you, go to sleep. You need protein and 12 hours of sleep in a very level position. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it, it's like, 
that's just the kind of thing that you can't experience. It, just the experience of of being on different rock or or putting yourself into those red point scenarios over and over and over again. Yeah. It'll change from something that you have to give a ton of thought to to something that's just instinctual. You're like, oh, I'm climbing up the rock. My hips are facing this way and my foot needs to go in front of me now, you know, or, oh, my skin hurts and it's really humid, but my body feels good and this roots mostly this or blah, blah, blah. So I am going to try or whatever it is. Yeah. I, I wrote a piece about this at some point, but it was just this idea of, I, I was like bouldering with a bunch of kids who were like way, way, way stronger than <laughs> me, but didn't yeah. know what they were doing. And they were just throwing themselves at this boulder problem. Like they were you know, puppies like humping yeah, like a couch yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And, um, you know, and they didn't like practice like the top out moves. I got a great you know? visual of that, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, you know, I, I like had the experience to know that, oh, I've only got like five tries to actually do this and I'm going to do each move and make sure I know how to do it. And then I'm going to do the problem. Yeah. And like I did the problem and it was like old guy, just like strategy, you know, um, efficiency approach yeah. versus just like, you know, the, the puppy humping the Accuracy couch approach. Accuracy by volume. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you just learn that shit over the years. And I think a lot of people who are younger, they get frustrated because they don't, they're not progressing as fast as they want, or mm. they're, they think they know they're so strong and they can just like flex in the gym and be, mm. you know, God Kings or Queens in their little circles there. But and then they try to climb outside and they just kind of, are mediocre. And yeah. I think that's like humbling. Yeah, totally. So, so what I'm saying is it, it's possible that if you're a new climber, you can develop your experience level and your strength at the same time. You don't have to develop your strength. Like it's the only thing holding you back. You know, you can, that's the thing is that's, I think that's the hang up. And it has been long before this whole the the whole training is life regime has come in because it's always been like that. Like I'm not, you know, I'm I'm doing a move that you're you can't do not because I'm stronger because I know I'm not stronger. I'm just right. And and not only am I doing it, I'm floating it, mm-hmm. and you're falling off. And it, it's so it's always been there. But the thing is, it's like I keep it like. You know, you guys are a, a lot deeper in in higher performance climbing than I ever have been. But if if you could just boil it down, climbing down to like I can do five hundred one arms on a crimp, so I'm I'm the best climber. That that if that did directly translate into you, it's like the whole mystery and draw yeah. and thing of climbing would disappear because that's and and that goes for all of us, including yeah. the the one arm crimp guy. Yeah. Like, Climbing is, is, it draws us in because it's all those intangibles totally. that we're confronted with every single time. It wouldn't be as compelling as it is yeah. if you could just train your way into being the top. Totally. There's and, a and thousand. It's like, it's like, if that, when that happens, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> There's like... a thousand paths <laughs> right. to the same result. Right. Which is what is so cool about climbing, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, it's like my whole, the Enorma cast and this thing, it's like, that's all we're really delving into is that why is this thing, you know, I talked to so many guests and they, they, they can't even tell me why, mm. but it just is this thing that they can't stop doing and it just draws them in. Yeah. And it's like, again, if you could just do 
that many pull-ups and then turn around and climb the hardest route in the world, that would not be the mystery or the compelling thing about it would be a pull-up contest yeah. and you could do your pull-up contest in Oleana or you right, could do it in right. rifle or you could do it in <laughs> the scenery matter, would change, but, yeah, but it exactly. would be the same. What other five fifteens have you done in the last year? You did one out in at the five G wall, right? In the last year? Um, if we're saying last year, then I don't know exactly what happened in the summer. I think I did a first ascent that I call Black Hole Sun last summer. I did. I'm not sure if it would, you know, I don't know if maybe it was in June, not July, but whatever, for the purpose of the conversation. That one I called 515A. And then one just to the right of that, I did like a direct finish to a route that I had done in 2020 called New World. But the the new one that I did is called uh, Event Horizon. So I did that one. After being in Spain and after getting uh, going to France, I did that one this year. Last fall, we went to Italy, uh, and I had tried a route called Lapsus there um, from Stefano Gisolfi that that I finished. So that was cool. That's a originally 15B, but maybe A or B. And then I had uh, I, I did a first ascent called um, Close Encounters this winter in Vegas. Actually, that was the last time one of the last times I climbed with Tommy. Is he came out with me and he was trying this other for FA thing and it was great to see him climbing hard and that was only in February so and, and then I had a great trip in Spain and I did a couple there and then this one I think that's it. How many was that? I don't know. Yeah, doesn't matter. <laughs> I lost track. Um, who's uh, who's inspiring you right now? Who's who's inspiring you on the climbing scene that you look up to Ooh, that you think cool is question. like climbing well? Like what what gets you psyched? Oh, that's cool. That's a cool question. I would say. Probably first and foremost is BJ Tilden. And I say that because he's a really good friend of mine. And uh, I also say that because he's 42 and he has had the best year in, in his climbing. He climbed Esperanza in Waco V14, his first V14. And he also climbed his first 515 at Wolf Point. So I am always rooting for BJ because I think he's such a genuine guy and he and he works really hard and he's dad. got the whole he's, he's a, dad. a dad. He's his, he's, he's a double dad. dad. He's a dad, bro. He's got two children. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we got to mention that cuz he of may, course. he may literally be the the best and hardest Is he climbing the baddest dad, dad in the world. Maybe he's the baddest he's dad. He's right up there. I mean He's in well, the, Adam Andre's his dad now. Too. Oh yeah, shit! But never mind. What's he done? Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> but wait, definitely wait. in America. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, yeah. What's he done since the kid was born? <laughs> He's done some stuff, but he's climbed five fifteen. All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> it's not the dad. same. I mean, like that? he's American not. Dad. BJ's climbing as hard as he has ever climbed. Yeah, right. you know, Andres yeah, yeah. climbing fifteen A or whatever. Yeah, big yeah, that's whatever. Anyway, I interrupted. I just wanted yeah, to make yeah. sure the dad part was put in there. Yeah, yeah. But but no, I, I mean, it sounds cheesy, but it genuinely does get me psyched because I have ambitious goals still. I turn thirty seven in two weeks. Um, I'm getting married in next April. My life is changing a bit. And to see that people can still, I also know that BJ puts a lot into climbing. It's not like he's like, oh, you know, I'm just going to try training for the first time and now I can do all, or, or I'm going to quit my job. And it's like, no, he's been a dedicated core climber for as long as I've known him for yeah. 
a long time. And pounding so. nails all week. And of course, like, yeah. dude. Building houses yeah. all week. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting because he kind of breaks a lot of, of your uh, of sort of your rules. Not that there were rules, but your advice. I mean, he's, you know. He, totally. He, he, yeah, he just gets it done as this guy who's on paper, you know, got just a regular normal life. Yeah, and you know, he it's wild. Climbing it's, it's with pretty wild. Climbing with him is very reminiscent to climbing with Tommy to me. And that and and the reason I say that is because I'll climb with BJ and he'll be like doing pretty good, but you know, we're not necessarily like, oh, he's going to do this thing, you know. And then there's just this like fire. He and and Tommy, I feel really similarly in that they have access to 100% of their strength. You know what I mean? Like when they really want to turn it on, they go fucking 100. I know a lot of people that I think hold back a bit when they're climbing. I actually think that there's a real thing, even with like really high level climbers where they never try their hardest because it might be perceived weird by other people or even they want it to feel a certain way or look a certain way. I mean, I know people that stop as soon as something goes wrong or foot slips or, you know, something mm-hmm. doesn't feel right. Take. But yeah, exactly. Take or, ah, oh, fuck, I should have, you know, yeah. ah, whatever, you can lower or whatever. But no, dude, with Tommy and with BJ and there's other people I could mention too if I thought about it, but it's like, I am clawing my way to the top of this wall, dude. I'm going 100% and I absolutely love that. I love that because it, that's something that we can all access to, you know, we, we can work really hard to let it all out. Do you feel like that describes you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I really try, I I tell this to Shana, my fiance all the time because she's learning so much about her own climbing right now. And she asks for, uh, naturally she doesn't take any of my advice, but what I tell her often is that, uh, once you know all the beta, every fucking try is a red point try. Like, don't tinker around, don't like stop, you know, unless there's something you really need to figure out. But I'm like, every time you tie in, shoot like you're going to the very top. Right. Uh, Like once you know what you're doing, you know, and I try and live that and I don't always, but, you know, I think it's a good like general motto to go by because you're going to do things faster and you're going to have more things to do that way, you know. On today's final bit, we feature some blistering punk rock from Colorado's Butch Cop. In true punk style, Butch Cop's eponymous EP's five songs clock in at under 11 minutes total. The entire power trio of Andrew, Will, and Matt are climbers, and you can find their tunes on Spotify and see them at punk shows around the Colorado Front Range. This is Pictures on the Wall by Butch Cop.
You've just reached the end of another Patreon episode of The Runout. If you're receiving your runout fix through the Patreon feed, it means that you've decided to live your days as a giver and supporter, which is a beautiful attitude that will lift your spirits and draw an admiring eye from your peers and loved ones. For this, we commend you because we wouldn't be able to do this without your contribution. Kudos and Mazel tov. And if you'd like to reach out with questions, concerns, praise, or criticism, or even contribute some content to Buddy Spray or The Final Bit. Email Andrew at Andrew at RunOutPodcast.com or Chris at Chris at RunOutPodcast.com. Although, let's face it, emailing Andrew is probably a better bet. Mm-hmm.